Hey, this is Kiran Nagraj from the Sparking Entrepreneur Show, and today we have Jeff Moore with us. Jeff is a leadership coach at Moore Leadership LLC. Jeff helps leaders build championship companies by cultivating competitive excellence and ethical and continuous improvement based on the origin of compete. We strive together. Jeff is one of the leading leadership coaches in. So, Jeff, first off, welcome to the show. Welcome Thank to you for having me. Let's begin with your story. Something that we should know about you. Something that everyone should know about you. What is that one thing that you would want to share? Boy, I don't know what there. I don't know one thing that people would want to know about me specifically. But my path to I didn't really have a path to leadership coaching because I was a coach. Like most people in my profession, I didn't decide to do it after a conventional education. I was a sport coach. And therefore I had to learn it in the trenches. I had to learn how to be a coach to be successful. And in sports, you have a scoreboard, your results are out there all the time. So you have a choice as to what you can put into getting those results. It's not like business where you can spin results to some degree. My company is worth 10 million. That's a win. My company is worth a billion. That's a win. My company did this or ratios or or this or that, it's pretty plain and simple. It's up on the scoreboard. You are what your record is. So I had to learn those things at starting at a very young age. I was a coach right out of college, sport coach. So tell us about the first few experiences as a coach and what are your experiences today as a coach? So what is the difference that you see in yourself working with clients then and working with clients today? The thing that's lacking, and it's not only in business, but it's in our society in the U.S. for sure, is we our unwillingness to compete, compete with ourselves, compete with each other. And that's because the origin of the word compete has been lost. We're stuck between collaborate and cutthroat. So collaborate is a word that I'm convinced that in the early 2000s, some HR people, organization development people who work, who live in the world of theory, mm. who live in academic and researcher environments, we're sitting around saying companies are starting to work more in teams. We mm. need to work. Oh, collaborate. Henry Ford used that word in during the Industrial Revolution. The problem is Henry Ford was building the same car, same color, same price over and over. Collaborate was okay when it was, because when the economies, when success was driven by efficiency, today it's driven by productivity. So collaborate is work together is this wonderful, it is a fine word. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's just broad and overused. And what does it mean? What does work together mean? Besides you and I come together and do something. The other, on the other side of it, on the other extreme is cutthroat, zero sum. That's how people view the new compete. The origin of the modern definition of compete is to outdo another. That modern definition is so distorted and so far from the origin of the word from Latin in the 1600s, which is to strive together. What that means is if you and I compete, and by the way, it could mean we're competing in an athletic contest to be, to win. We might be sitting around a boardroom table uh, competing to win the project. You win the project or I win the project, or it could simply be we're debating an issue. In either case, we're not working together. We're striving together. Competing means when you come out of that experience, you view the experience as having made you both better. There's always tension involved, but tension is required. And this is something that's really lost in politics, in business 
in sports, tension is required for any relationship to grow. So we want to use these sort of milquetoast vanilla words like collaborate, which everyone uses, everyone applies differently. Striving together is the willingness to move out of your comfort zone, to tackle extremely difficult problems, learn new things, and persevere through that process. And that's the world we live in. Mm. And that's what competing means. Competing is striving together. So if people have to think of it this way, they could think of it as the highest level of collaboration or actually putting some meat on the bone. So that's my premise. And it's difficult. Only leaders really want to work with me. Managers do not. What is the reason? Most people manage people. And there's a difference between managing and leading. Management is a science. Over the centuries, management has become exponentially more complicated because it has to do with processes and systems, things that have to do with numbers. Mm -hmm. Leadership, the principles of leadership have never changed. Leadership is about people, not systems. Mm -hmm. So when you manage people, they essentially, some people are obviously, many people are well-meaning managers, but those people essentially become like the widgets that you're producing. They become numbers on a spreadsheet. It becomes top down. A leader is about people and a manager wants you to work within your limitations to meet expectations. A leader wants you to stretch beyond what you perceive to be your limitations to exceed expectations. The big difference. So leadership is a much higher bar. And the problem today is management is being pushed. It's called leadership. But when you go to the bookstore and you ask for the leadership section, leadership books, they'll send you to the management section. It doesn't make any sense. Managing people, again, you can't, would you want to be managed? I wouldn't want to be managed per se. So that's what we need to get back to. And if you were to be controlled, then you would have sent with a remote, right? So you don't have a remote and that's the reason you can, and you should control yourself. My next question to you is about, as you have mentioned, difference between manager and leader has to influence people to make them things do, right? If they do not do things, the organization doesn't make money. The organization isn't reaching their goals, right? So how right. it is rewarding for each one of us. If you manage, it's right for each of us. Yeah, if you influence, like how to influence in the right manner, it helps each one of us. It rewards each one of us. Right. The way to lead is to cultivate in people certain attributes, not prescribe or talk about. And so if you read any, pick up any leadership book and it will give you a formula. So there is grit, right? Passion and pierce. All you need is passion and perseverance to succeed. When I told that to my mother who lived through the depression and the windstorms in Kansas, she said, how much did they spend on that research? It's intuitively obvious, okay? And then you have 10,000 hours, which is being walked back. My son plays baseball, played baseball. He probably spent 100 hours, maybe, and he was recruited by colleges. Others who spent 10,000 hours weren't even recruited. He had a special talent. So that's being walked back. Even growth mindset, because growth mindset, if you read the research, was applied to young students. And it's applied to results, not growth. It's replied to getting better results, not actually growth. So can you, if you were to imagine George Washington and one of his generals in the United States back in the, the Revolutionary War has just ended and George Washington and his general, they're sitting on their horses 
And the general says to George Washington, I just saw this book called Grit. George, imagine if we had this book called Grit, we could have won the Revolutionary War even faster. And George would turn around and say to the general, how much did they spend on that research? It's that leadership has never changed. We have lost it. We've gone to formulas. We've gone to make it a science. Mm. And we've lost the art of it. Leadership is an art. So if you work for me, my mission as a leader would be to cult cultivate in you the willingness to stretch beyond perceived limitations, what you perceive to be your limitation. The way I would do that is I would be pay close attention to whether or not you, you demonstrate certain attributes. If you demonstrate the willingness to move out of your comfort zone and solve problems that are really difficult, let's say you solve a problem X, then I would come up to you usually in an informal setting. And I would say, how did you solve that problem? You must've had to come at that six different ways. Tell me about that. If you've had to work through a lot of issues and resilience has been involved, I might say, you had to break down every door in this building to get that done. Tell me about that. So in that way, I'm addressing actual attributes, actual actions, not results. And when I had that approach as a coach, we defeated teams that we weren't supposed to defeat, not because we talked about it, not because we just worked hard. Okay. We never talked about winning. We just focused on what goes into winning. It's a really powerful thing. And it's very rare in the work world. Can you tell us and elaborate more on the way, like influencing you have already mentioned, right? but there is certain things and certain expectations of the employee, right? If they want a raise, right? So that's something. So is it only possible influence by telling them about the rewards they, that may come or building a culture that sustains and like inspires, not just the rewards that follow? Well, you take, if you're leading, you take money out of the equation to begin with and you hire them based on their willingness to strive together and you interview based on that. I have an assessment called the Strivership Quotient. And it assesses your willingness to strive together in four relationships. Relationship to self, that internal conversation you have with yourself. Relationship to team, which is your team of peers. Relationship to boss and relationship to direct reports. And you take that and depending on the results, then what questions, what behavioral interview questions to ask the prospect that you're considering hiring. So you ask those questions. So that's actually the beginning of the process. So one question might be, tell me about a time when you were so excited about a project, but you were also, you also had no idea how it would turn out. You had no idea of the results, the consequences, but you were so excited about working on it. You couldn't wait to get out of bed every day. And usually if a person hesitates on that, depending on the company, there are lots of companies where you're building software to engage the employee, or you're building software to shop easier, or you're building software to store technology. And those things can be managed jobs. Those are, those are things that we need in our society, but they're not going to make, they're not necessarily going to make huge changes. So in jobs and the companies I work with are usually innovating constantly and they're in pressure environments. So can you tell us about First off, like before we move to the next question, please tell us about the best ways of reaching out to you. What are they? Reaching out to me, probably by email, jeff at moreleadership.com. 
And then my website is moreleadership.com. M-O-R-E leadership.com. So Jeff, let's move on to the next question. As you mentioned that leadership is an art and it is not a science. So what are some basics of the art? What are the colors? What exactly are the tools that we have to use and to amplify our art? Again, it's the ability to cultivate in your people certain attributes. The way that you interact with your direct reports, it's actually, and it starts with the way you interact with yourself, how you compete, how you strive together with yourself, which, because modeling these things, which is one thing that managers are not concerned about necessarily because they're directing everything, they're micromanaging everything, but a leader has to model these certain attributes, the willingness to move out of their comfort zone, the willingness to solve intractable problems, the willingness to learn new things, the willingness to embrace failure, the, in the team relationship, the willingness to challenge and be challenged, the willingness to communicate if you have a problem with a coworker. And the problem in the team relationship is that people are willing to support, usually on my assessment, the support score is really high, but the willingness to challenge and be challenged and the willingness to communicate is typically people fear doing that. And so the support score typically has little credibility because anyone can support. You have Trump, right? Lots <laughs> of people in this, we have lots of people in this country who say things all the time in support and it's meaningless. It's like air. It's yeah. like air. It just goes over you. So unless you're, unless I'm willing to challenge you and be challenged by you, number one, and number two, unless I'm willing to communicate with you, if I have an issue, that support doesn't mean anything. I have to be building that team relationship. And the same goes with the boss. I need to model those three relationships. I need to model my relationship to self. Am I willing to solve these problems? Do I show that? Am I willing to challenge and be challenged in, on my team so my direct reports can see it? Do they know that I will communicate if I have an issue? And the same in my relationship to my boss. Am I going to challenge my boss? Am I going to communicate with my boss? Am I going to support my boss? Unless I can show those things, which is a lot harder than people make it, then I can't lead. I can't expect. And that's my first step in cultivating in you the willingness to demonstrate those attributes is you see me doing it. It's if you have children see a lot more in their parents than the parents realize. Years later, my son will say things to me that he got from me years earlier that I never would have imagined because we never talked about it. This is very typical, parents and children. It's the same with direct reports and their bosses. They're seeing a lot more. They're sensing a lot more than people realize. So that's the first step. And then the second step is to, is to build a relationship with that person, your direct report, in a way that conveys that they believe more in their employees as people. So they believe in them as people first. They care about them as people first and employees second. So those two things, modeling and building that trusting relationship, and then cultivating once again is a way to essentially challenge you to demonstrate those attributes by questions and observations. And that can be done in a number of ways. The art of it is not only do I challenge you one-on-one -on -one with, can you solve this? Can you jump in the fire and do this? Can you push through this? That's resilience. But also to do that in a group setting. So I might address you in a group setting and with the goal of not of just cultivating in you, but everyone else is hearing that. I might, I can cultivate in a public setting 
many all hands meetings, all that's done are two things. All that's done are two things. Results are reported for the quarter or for the month or whatever. Okay. And that should be done. And then the next, then they pivot right away to rewards. So-and-so made the most sales. And even though those aren't, those are not without merit. I think what clients of mine have learned to do in all hands is they may decrease those awards because awards actually punt rewards actually punish because they give the, it's like school where grades are useless, which is why there's no correlation between your grades in school and your success at work. There's no, that's been proven here. That's why Google doesn't look at grades. Rewards punish. So what should be in all hands, what my clients do is they will add a story. So if you were the director of the technology team and you're on the all hands meeting, the whole company, including your teams on the meeting, you might tell a story, a quick story about one of your team members who attacked a certain problem on this project and what that person went through to over a long period and persevered through to get this done. And again, so what are you doing? Just one little story about one person. You're sending a message, not only to your team, but to the company about what you're about. You're about your people, you and your people stretching beyond what they perceive to be their limitations to exceed. So again, it's a, it's a way of planting seeds in people that is really powerful and that's indirect. So that's not, I guess it's one-on-one -on -one because I'm talking about you on the all hands, but in a sense, I'm indirectly cultivating everyone else. It's mm -hmm. very powerful. It's something that the difference between what I do and what most executive coaches do is I did this stuff. I didn't go learn it in a school because leadership is not an academic enterprise management is it's just not because you can't learn it in the classroom so i read biographies and you can see i don't know if you do that but you read about famous people leaders and you read about the kinds of things they did to lead their people and a good biography doesn't have a how-to component to it but there's osmosis you, through osmosis through picking up on signals and our country george washington was obviously a famous one he, and Abraham Lincoln told stories constantly. Why is he telling stories? It had an impact. He was a brilliant leader. So it works. And that's why they did it. So Jeff, thank yeah. you so much in, for enlightening us on so much content, so much information, so much wisdom on leadership. But we are limited on time. So I'll lead to my final question. Any final thoughts that you have? Something that you would want to share? Something close to your heart? I want people to be able to challenge themselves and challenge each other to get better. We have many difficult problems to solve in the world, and it's time that we strive together to solve them and not point to the other person or not hope that someone else will solve them. We need to jump into the fire. That was the final part for today. And uh, I am your host, Kieran Agrahar, signing off. Thank you so much, Jeff, for such a wonderful time. Thank you. Thank you again. Bye-bye.